By now you'll have heard or seen that I'm working with a new golf app called Tangent, who are also sponsoring this show. It's the smartest AI caddy in golf and is able to recommend not only clubs to hit, but target locations based on the math behind strokes gained and your own personal shot patterns. Unlike many other shot trackers, it also takes into account and adjusts for hazards that are out there. It has sensorless tracking with an amazing automatic swing detection that you can use with your Apple Watch or your phone without any need to buy any attachments for your clubs. And my favorite part, the post-round analysis data helps you immediately see where you can improve and gives you simple breakdowns that you can dive into if you want much more detail about your stats. It then links this data to recommendations and actual practice drills that you can use to improve. Getting measurable data for both on-course and practice drills makes Tangent one of the best game improvement ecosystems that I've ever seen. So download Tangent for free on the Apple App Store or at tangent.golf and use promo code SWEET30, that's S-W-E-E-T-3-0, for 30% off. So you'll get a free trial, and if you like it and want to continue, it'll give you 30% off a subscription. So just try it out, play a few rounds with it, and I know you'll love it. So that's Tangent, T-A-N-G-E-N-T, and enter code SWEET30. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf. And as always, I'm joined by Adam from adamyounggolf.com. This episode of The Sweet Spot is brought to you by The Stack, the most advanced speed training system in golf. The Stack system pairs a single club, which is configurable into 30 resistance levels with an industry-changing app. The Stack assesses your speed profile and provides customized programming for you. The app guides you through every single swing, cheers when you set personal records, and clearly displays progress for key training metrics. The Stack was created by leading golf researcher Dr. Sasho McKenzie and the VP of Fitting and Performance at Ping, Marty Jertson. Chris Como, coach of the longest hitter in PGA Tour history in Bryson DeChambeau, he says the Stack is by far the best speed training system available. It's the easiest way for a golfer to reach their speed potential. You guys deserve more speed, and we've arranged a special 20% discount for Sweet Spot listeners. So check them out at thestacksystem.com and use promo code SWEETSPOT at checkout. So that's thestacksystem.com using promo code SWEETSPOT. So a few weeks ago, I had something special happen on the golf course, and I've had Adam agree to let me come on here and brag about it for an hour. So thank you for that, Adam. The whole world has been waiting for this one, John. I know. This is just massive news. Should I break it to everyone who probably might already even know about it? It's not that big of a deal, but it is for me. I had my, I guess it's been two and a half weeks now, but I had my the best round of my life at my home course, St. George's, which is in uh, East Setauket, New York. And I gave the course record a run. I shot a bogey-free 64 
which is six under. It's a par 70. And you know what the worst part was, Adam? What's that? <laughs> I lipped out an eight-footer for birdie on 18. Like, vicious lip out. That would have been for the 63. So, like any golfer, I was left wanting more, <laughs> unfortunately. The golf gods yeah. making you come back again. Exactly. So, the course record was a 62. I actually, I don't think I even knew that while I was playing. My playing partners were kind of alluding to it, but I kept telling them to shut up. But yeah, it was just a, uh, it was a pretty special round. I'm proud of it. And you know, when I announced it on Twitter, everyone's like, oh, I want to know what was going through your head. So I turned it into a thread. And then people were like, well, why don't we talk about it on the podcast? And so this is, you know, just to give everyone a disclaimer, this is not going to be for real an episode about me bragging about the round or about how to shoot your best round. I think it's more about, you know, relative to everyone's playing level. How do you deal with, you know, a round that's going too well, or even a round that's going poorly and just that cliched statement, staying in the present and just dealing with all those thoughts that come in your head when you're like, wow, I've got something special here, but I've got 10 holes left or whatever it is to finish this. And you're trying not to get too far ahead of yourself. So I think there's a lot of lessons in this round that I drew upon from many of the other rounds where I had maybe some horrible failures and some breakthroughs over the years. And and it all kind of came through during these 18 holes. So I figured, you know, we would talk about this experience. And I know you've had a ton of similar experiences as well. And I think people appreciate when we do these on-course episodes to kind of help everyone deal with, you know, what happens during a round because it's, you know, four, five, six hours and there's a lot of stuff that can happen. Was that the lowest score you've had in terms of the score or the most under par or both? Both. So... I was actually thinking about it before this round. This is weird how golf works. I always have this pattern where like I will have some type of breakthrough and then it kind of goes away for a year or two and then it comes back, meaning like the level I reach. So a couple of years ago in the same week, I shot a 65 and a 66 at my course. And I was thinking, and I'm not a player who goes deep a lot. I shoot a lot of rounds that are one or two under par at my course, but I'm not someone who historically has blistered a golf course with tons of birdies. And to be quite honest with you, the hardest part for me was the bogeys. The 64 was the first bogey-free round I've ever shot in my life. So yeah, it was the lowest I've ever gone relative to par and score. It's interesting. I've never tracked that myself, the bogey-free part. It's not something that I look at in a round. Neither do I, but it just, I think, you know what it is? I just remember you play Xbox and you get those like career achievements unlocked. (laughs) The only two I really (laughs) want are 18 out of 18 greens in regulation and bogey free. And in this round, I had 17 greens in regulation. So I didn't get the 18, but I did get the bogey free. So that felt particularly good just because I think that's the struggle I've had in golf over the years is limiting the bogeys, the double bogeys, the mistakes. When you're tracking your round of golf, like in the middle of it or unconsciously slash consciously aware of it, are you thinking more in terms of your score under par or are you thinking more in terms of the absolute score that you're going to get? Not really. I mean, I think I I guess we'll get into this, how experience plays into this. I think for a long time, when I got into territory that was uncomfortable, and let's say 10 years ago, that for me was breaking 80. So like in my head, I'd be like, okay, I know I'm five over par it was hard to ignore that. And I got a par out to shoot in the 70s. And then over time, as I got more and more comfortable at each level, it became more process oriented than results. And I have a bunch of notes over what was going through my head during this round. I think it's impossible not to think about your score just because like, I knew the amount of birdies I was making and my playing partners were like kind of looking at me 
Kind of like when a pitcher is throwing a no-hitter, you try to just kind of step out of the way. I was cognizant of it, but I wasn't trying to focus on it either, if that answers your question. Right. Yeah, I'm always kind of aware of how many under par or over par I am. I've never really thought, oh, I'm going to shoot a 69 or 63 as I'm in the middle of the round. That's always after the fact. But yeah, it's just interesting how you mentally tally it or whether you try and stay out of it completely. I think I'm a big numbers person. I think that's what drew me to golf in the first place. So for years, the score was just burned in my head (laughs) where I stood to par. And I think I still know where I am, but I'm just not I'm not as focused on it anymore, but I know it's there at the same time. So I guess I'm walking a little bit of a tightrope there. So I've got some lists of notes here to go through. Yeah, go ahead. I'll riff off what you say. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, I think, again, what I hope people get out of this episode is just dealing with what we're talking about, expectations, knowing where you are to scoring and not let that dominate your round and focusing on more productive things. But one thing I do want to start off with that I think is very helpful and you do hear pro golfers say this all of a sudden when they miss like 100 cuts and then win a tournament. Prior to this round, I was not feeling so great about my ball striking. I'll try and humble myself here so I'm not bragging too much about the round. I had this really bizarre pattern show up in April. You know, we had some very bad weather. I think the whole country, a lot of the country had really bad spring weather. So it was just super windy and cold and I wasn't playing a lot. And a few weeks before this round, I was hitting balls on the range and talk about, you know, the feedback you and I always pay attention to and talk about on the show. I had this really bizarre pattern show up that I'd never dealt with before. I was like chunking my longer irons. So I was, you know, my ground contact was heavy. I was making contact with my irons high on the face and towards the heel, just like a really clanky, horrible shots. And I hit a few hosel rockets too, to be honest with you. And I had this one range session. I was like, oh, okay, I'm not going to panic. And then it kept showing up over the next week to the point where I actually had a, I was hitting balls in my house one night. It was after my son had a little league game and I was hitting balls afterward. And it was really cold outside. So I, I guess I didn't have a lot of feeling in my hands and arms. And I just couldn't feel the club face. It was actually terrifying to me because that's a big cue for me in my golf swing is, you know, having club face orientation or being aware of it. And I was just hitting all these horrible shots. And then the next morning we were taking our kids to the Bronx Zoo very early. And I woke up early to hit more balls. And I'm trying to fix the pattern. I know what it is. I'm spraying the face. I'm seeing what's happening. And I was in the kind of a cold sweat. My wife's like, what are you doing? It was like 6.30 in the morning. And I'm like, I got to fix this because I'm panicking here. And I did. And I actually played a tournament the next week where I, I didn't really play all that great. It was the first tournament of the year. I had some horrible putting. I think I shot an 81. Just, you know, it was kind of a rusty round. So my point is, is that these were the events leading up to this round. (laughs) There was a lot of doubt in my ball striking and I wasn't panicking or at least trying not to panic, but I wasn't feeling great about our big three uh, ball striking feedback fundamentals, to be honest. I can definitely empathize with that. I can go back to situations in my past where I felt that way. I can't remember a scenario in the last five, six, seven years where I felt that way though. I'm very able to quickly change patterns now obviously because of all of the instruction that I do and all of the experimental practice that I do but yeah I mean even with that in play you're going to have days where things are not as in control my first if okay so I might have that in a scenario where maybe my driving is a little bit erratic 
on a given day there's no pattern to it it might be left and right and my first go-to with that is to kind of step out of it mentally maybe I'm overdoing certain changes there and so that's my first go-to you know I focus on something kind of old school like rhythm and tempo just to try and make things more consistent if anything but actually the first thing that I do even before that is the acceptance that look I'm having a bad day here <laughs> it's uh, yep. <laughs> just get through the round you know pick safer aim points accept any outcome you know stand over the tee and accept that this could go anywhere instead of standing over the ball frightened that this could go anywhere so that's the first thing that I do is a kind of mental or expectation change followed by the tempo change followed by then mechanical interventions if I have to, if something can relate to the consistency. Yeah, I think that this one freaked me out a little bit more because I feel similar to the way you do for the past you know, four or five years. I don't think I've really gone through a major swing rut that I haven't been able to correct in a couple of rounds. But this was just, I think I mentioned it, the episode has not been released yet. We did an episode with Mike Carroll about warming up properly. And I think we started talking about some weight training and stuff. And I've been doing some heavier weight training lately. So I'm not sure if that had something to do with it. But just for three or four range sessions, just kind of lost the plot for a bit. And I tried not to freak out, but to be quite honest with everyone listening to this, I was like, is something really wrong here that you can't fix? But I did, fortunately. So I just want to get that out of the way just to you know, people to know that I know golfers get into these ruts in their game all the time. And of course, relative to your experience and skill level, but you just don't know when it's going to turn around. And it can very quickly. And all of a sudden you're feeling very good over the ball again. But of course, you know, employing some of the strategies we discuss on the show, I think can turn things around more quickly for you so you can identify the problem. So did you go into that day, the low round day? Did you go into that day hitting it poorly as well on the range and the warm up? No, I think I was fine at that point. You know, the prior tournament round, the bad score for me was really the greens were a bit bumpy and messy. So I'd missed a lot of short four footers. I four putted the second hole for a triple bogey. I mean, it got, but my ball striking wasn't I came away from that round being like, okay, you're just a little rusty, but the ball striking is fine. So I wasn't terrified at that point. And in terms of, you know, that actual day, what showed up, you know, it was spectacular iron play. I mean, you know, we talk about strokes gained on this show and how Mark Brody was on here. You know, you want to play your best golf. I did not miss the center of my club face all day with my irons. Um, If I had to rank all the feedback on everything, the irons were just exceptional. Everything was in 10 to 25 feet of the hole, really good target selection. I didn't really knock down many pins. You know, on the first hole, I had a kick in for birdie. And then I think on the 11th hole, I almost had a hole in one from 200 yards where I just went right on the pin. It was the middle of the green and almost had a hole in one. And I actually missed the six footer coming back for birdie. But those were really the only two shots of the round where people would be like, oh my God, that was exceptional. The rest of it was just like really good distance control and picking my smart targets. And I just, I had a ton of looks for birdies and I just made some of them. It wasn't, I don't really think if anyone followed me around that day, they would have been like, holy cow, this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. Like it wasn't, you know, I drove it okay. I kept it in play and I just kept hitting every green within 20 feet of the area I was aiming, which just gave me a lot of 10, 15, 20 footers for birdie. And a few of them went in. I missed one green. I was like two feet off the green and I I was 20 feet away and I just chipped it right next to the hole. And that was, that was my only up and down for the day. Yeah. The last round I went, deep i was about seven under or i was seven under at the end and 
you know, at the end, I was playing with some amateurs and they knew I was playing well. But at the end, they said, oh, you must have been close to level par there. <laughs> so, it's like, no, dude, seven, seven I'm seven under. under. They went, were you? <laughs> so, you know, there were a lot of par fives that I hit close to in two and then kind of chipped up. And so that made a big difference. But yeah, I mean, it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't look spectacular. It's not knocking everything to three foot and tapping it in for birdie like people think it is. No, and I think that's really one of the most important lessons I hope people can get out of this. And what I learned, you know, when I played my junior golf, I wasn't around a lot of like standout golfers who were scratch or better. I was around a lot of golfers like me who were probably like four, five, six handicaps. And they were kind of, you know, getting it around the course, but not doing anything like we were not standout golfers. And I remember the first time I played with like a legitimate division one college player. I mean, he was older at that point and I watched him shoot under par. And I was like, that was so boring and simple. Like he didn't do anything like your experience with those people who played with you. I asked him what he shot after the round. I think it was three or four under. I'm like, really? Like I didn't even notice. So I think that's an important lesson, again, relative to everyone else, like whether you're looking to break 190 or 80, like we'll keep saying this over and over again, like that it's those scores are not going to come from a highlight reel. Those scores are going to come from keeping it in play, hitting more greens, very good speed control with your putter, and then hopefully a few putts drop here or there. And then, you know, if you do have a round where you need to save some shots with your wedges, just, you know, hitting decent wedge shots that are 10 to 20 feet from the hole, they don't have to be two feet from the hole. So that's a lot of breakthroughs in golf are just removing the uh uh-oh stuff and hitting those boring shots that just seem to stick around the target not too far away. Sorry to burst everyone's bubble. So you started with a birdie, you said a kick in birdie. What was your initial thought or even before that standing on the first tee did you have any expectations for the round were you trying to shoot a certain score no i mean no no this is i think one of the most important things i'd like to talk about this you know again whatever milestone you're looking to break experience it's so important i birdied the first two holes i've done that before it's i'm not trying to brag it's not that big of a deal to me anymore i've crossed that line in my game I've got my scorecard here. I was four under on the front. So I had a kick in birdie on the first hole. Second hole is a 570-yard par five. I think I wedged. I had a 60-yard wedge shot. I wedged it to about 12 feet, made that putt. Fourth hole, same thing, wedged it from about 80 yards to 15 feet, made that putt. And then on the par five, sixth hole, I got it to the bunker in two, hit it to about eight feet, and made that birdie putt. So that's four under right there. And then I made the turn at four under. I've done that before on my course. I do most of my scoring on the front nine. It's the back nine at St. George's that's much harder. The stretch from like 10 to 14 or 15, depending on the pin placements, that's where you cough it up and give some bogeys back. So I drained a 22-footer about that on the 10th hole. So now I'm five under. So at that point, it was like, okay, something special is happening here. What mentality did you go into that tough stretch with? So were you aware of your score at that point? Yeah, yeah. I think the mentality I had was don't do anything differently. All right, okay. There's a few notes I've made here, and if people saw my Twitter thread, I go through it. But at that point, I'm genuinely okay with either result at this point, whether I blow it or do it. Not to say I don't care, but I'm just embracing the experience. I was out with some friends from my course. You know, these are they're good guys I play with a lot. I think, you know, a couple of them are six, seven handicaps, you know, very solid players. We always have a lot of fun matches together. So on the 11th hole, which is a tough par three, 
I had 200 into the wind and I just smoked my five iron right at the pin and it almost went in. And one of the guys in my group looked at me and he was like, he kind of like gave me one of those eye bulging looks and I did one of the the shrugs. I'm like, at this point, I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. (laughs) And then I missed that birdie putt. I think it was a five or six footer. It was a downhill slider. And I was like, okay, no big deal. And then, you know, 12 and 13 are really tough par fours, the two hardest holes on the course. And I just, I picked the same exact target. I think in the past, you know, going back, whether I was looking to break 80, whatever it was, and I know a lot of people listening to this feel the same thing. When you feel like something's going too well and you're out of your comfort zone, you tend to start doing things differently. So in the past, whether it was me trying to break 80, par, whatever, the things I noticed was that I started playing scared. So all of a sudden, I'm trying to preserve the score rather than shoot it. My tendency, just because I'm a risk-averse person, was to play even more conservatively. So I'd stop hitting driver off the tee. I would just get so safe, and that's when the mistakes started showing up. And on top of that, I believe my swing started to change too, where I would often swing more slowly in terms of the tempo of my swing. My backswing would get super slow. So these are all things I paid attention to over the years, which is why reviewing your rounds is so important and paying attention to what happens under pressure. So those are things I know had happened to me in the past. So here I was, you know, five under, I was like, hit the driver here, same target with the irons, same exact thing, aggressive to smart targets, which I know is an overused term, but don't change anything. That was my mentality for most of it. Yeah, I can understand when I used to get under par, deep under par into new territory, my initial thought was, let's get into the clubhouse as quickly as possible. Yeah, you, exactly. <laughs> you just want it to be over. You're like, just write down the score and let me be done with this. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so your brain just starts rushing so far ahead. And I also felt the same as you. I would get very scared in the swing. So I'd either get very steery, almost unable to release the club, and or my body would kind of stall through impact and I would flip it left. And so, yeah, now when I'm in that situation, because I've been in that situation so many times and I know that it doesn't serve me, you know, getting steery and scared doesn't serve me. So I know the answer antidote to that is to be aware of what's happening understand that I'm going to have to force myself to swing aggressively, you know, swing confidently. And it's not easy to do. Your body still wants to kind of protect everything and slow down and swing scared, but you can overcome it. And yeah, I think it's similar for a lot of people. Yeah, we want to get off the golf course as quickly as possible, get scared, steer, preserve a score. But even deeper than that, I don't feel that way as much anymore. Because now I have a different thermostat, internal thermostat. So Tony Robbins talks about this this concept, the theory of the internal thermostat. So just like a thermostat has ranges of temperatures and it'll kick in if it goes below or above a certain point, we can apply that theory to certain aspects of our life. So, I mean, weight loss is a big thing. So for me, if I go above, say, 165, which is my heaviest then my motivation ramps up. I'm like, I can't, I can't do this. I've got to get down again. So I increase my exercise. I watch my diet a little better. And, you know, within a couple of weeks, I'm down to 155. However, if I get down to 150, I self-sabotage. Even though I want to get lower than that and leaner than that, 
I self-sabotage. The moment I get down to 150, I just, I'm like, ah, maybe I'll have that extra ice cream or <laughs> oh, maybe I'll have the bigger plate at the meal. And then I also, I'm not going to weigh myself this week. Not consciously at all. I just, I kind of walk downstairs. Normally I weigh myself every morning and this time I start to go, I'll skip it today. <laughs> and then all of a sudden a week goes by, I jump on the scales and I'm back up five, 10 pounds again. So it's kind of this, we train ourselves or we are instinctively designed to stay at a certain level and obviously then we can start to apply that to golf scores as well so my internal thermostat is kind of seven under to three over par whenever i get to that three over par range something kicks in and i start to drop it down again and get closer to my normal range but once i start to get seven under or more that thermostat kicks in and i start to feel that steery scared adam come out and that's changed over time. It used to be kind of 10 over par to level par. And the thermostat has dropped over time the more I've broken it. You know, the more I've gone under par and gone deeper, it's much easier to do it the second time I found. Yeah, experience is and failure. I mean, I can't. <laughs> you talk about bad memories and stuff when you're changing the reference points of scoring. So whether it was looking to break 80. Yeah, there were plenty of rounds around the 16th hole. I hit a shank because I was so obsessed with the score being like, don't blow it, don't blow it, don't blow it. And then boom, blow it. I know everyone listening to that knows that feeling relative to their you know relationship and skill level in this game. But you almost have to go through it to get to that next level if that's where you're going to be. Also, you know, your skill level is obviously going to play a huge portion of it too. Let's say this was years ago and I got to five under. I didn't have the ball striking skills to stay there probably. Eventually those swings would show up. Whereas now I'm like, you know, on that day, I'm like, to be quite honest with everyone, I'm like, you're pretty damn good. Like there's nothing bizarre about this right now. Like you can go even deeper if you wanted to. So I wasn't looking at it in this scared way. It was like, okay, this is where I am right now. This is not crazy. Let's just keep going. And you know, another thing that I've paid attention to in this where tournament play has helped me a lot with, you know, understanding pressure and what nerves can do to you in golf and paying attention to what happens is maybe some people slow down. I tend to speed up. So if something's going very badly or maybe too well in this instance where you're playing so well, my breathing, how fast I'm walking, how quickly I'm going through my pre-shot routine, the decision making, all of a sudden it starts speeding up and then my internal clock gets all messed up. So on a day like this, you know, we often talk about neutralizing mistakes in golf and doing the opposite. I tried to do the opposite because now I'm used to this saying like, okay, you're going to have to walk a little bit more slowly right now. You're going to have to breathe a little bit more slowly right now. You're not going to rush through your pre-shot routine. You're going to do everything exactly the same that you would do in any other round with the knowledge that right now that perhaps you're under a little bit more pressure. So that's something that I try to do. And I I know this sounds ridiculous, but I hum my songs. <laughs> when I'm under pressure on the course, I just kind of look around and soak in the experience. I'll hum my songs. I'll have just fun with my playing partners. And you know, we were just joking around and having a good time. That's very helpful to me. So those are also things that I tried to be aware of when I hit that stretch where I was like, okay, you are pretty far under par and you're probably on the hardest part of the golf course right now. So let's just, it's not necessarily stepping on the gas pedal or the brakes it's more of like more of the same just do everything the same you normally would 
Enjoy the experience. You're having fun. Go through your routine, live with the results and go on to the next shot. Again, very basic, straightforward advice, but it's just so important to, I think, a golfer of any level. We are going to take a quick break there and we'll be right back. What's up, Sweet Spot listeners? I am super excited to introduce a new brand we're working with, Gooder Sunglasses. I pretty much do not go outside without sunglasses on, and I definitely wear them all the time on the golf course, so it's a really important product for me. Gooder makes $25 active sunglasses that are lightweight, comfortable, and do not move while you swing. When I first got them, I was shocked at the quality. There's no way you would know they were $25 if someone just put them in your hands. Their golf sunglasses have HD contrast, so you'll see clearly when you're on the golf course, and you don't have to worry about losing them because they don't have a hefty price tag. They have a wide variety of designs and colors that should suit just about any style you're looking for, whether it's for golf or elsewhere in your life. All Gooder sunglasses are 100% UV protective and have polarized lenses. You'll also get a one-year warranty and a 30-day window to return them for free if you don't like them. If you want to try out a pair or two, we've arranged an exclusive discount for Sweet Spot listeners. Go to Gooder, G-O-O-D-R.com forward slash Sweet Spot and use promo code Sweet Spot at checkout and you will receive 15% off your entire order. That's www.goodr.com forward slash Sweet Spot and make sure to use promo code Sweet Spot at checkout for your 15% discount. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. LinkedIn is not just a job board. It helps you hire professionals you cannot find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to a new perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Also on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Just recently, they even launched a new feature that helps you write your job description, making the process even easier and quicker. And they know that small business owners like myself and Adam are wearing so many hats and might not have the resources to hire, so it's a great place to get help. Now here's what you can do. Post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. That's linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I get careless when I'm deep. So, you know, normally I will work at a yardage and I'm taking in more into account the wind more, where I want the ball to finish. I just gather more information. I think in the past, just listening to you talk there, when I'm deep, I miss steps. I miss information. I think that stems from me wanting to get in the clubhouse quicker. I'm just like, absolutely. Uh, it's between 156 and 170. I'm just going to grab an eight and hit it. <laughs> and it's so silly to do that. But, I, you know, I do recognize that. And, you know, that's something for me to be aware of. And for everybody, it's going to be different. What you do under pressure, the mental patterns that come out, the physical patterns that come out. I mean, I know I'm more likely to fat it and hit it left when I'm under pressure and so now I'm aware of those things when I'm feeling that way I'll either implement something to you know improve a fat shot and a left shot 
or I will uh, encourage myself to swing aggressively at it. So yeah, it's understanding your patterns both mentally and technically under these feelings and then implementing something to change it or neutralize it. Yeah, that's why I always try and tell people, you know, all the clues to your game are hiding in plain sight in your rounds. So that's why I try and make it a habit for about five to 10 minutes after every round of golf I play, whether I'm driving home, wherever. I try and mentally review most of the shots. And of course, you know, the the rounds that are, I think the more extreme ones were like, let's say you were playing really well and you blew it. And I shouldn't say blew it is the right, maybe that's not the right term, but everyone knows that feeling where you were, is it Icarus flying too close to the sun and then the wings got burned? I know that feeling very well. And I just try and pay attention to what happened. And like you said, you kind of gloss over things. Especially it's happened to me in tournaments coming down the stretch where I'll feel like, I think you and me think very similarly on the course, but like you just want to get out of there. So maybe that's our pattern. Some other people, they might have a different pattern, but for whatever it is, yeah, I might not be aware of something or I just go through a routine so quickly and I didn't really think about my target, what I was trying to do on the shot. And then it just, everything falls flat because now something's different. I guess these things aren't guarantees the consistency, but it gives you at least a better chance of executing, allowing your skills to come out. Yeah, I think because we are very data driven, you know, our thing would be losing some of the data. That's what we do under pressure. But for some people who are more instinctive, they may change and start to add information. Yeah. You know, someone who's kind of instinctive and just kind of plods along and hits their club and, you know, they're playing well. When they start playing well, they're like, oh, I've got a good round going. I've got to concentrate more. Or I should think about this. Oh, what's the wind doing? And they start to think of more things that they wouldn't normally obsess over. And then that can cause them to choke because they stand over a golf ball, you know, thinking of things, their head is full of things that they don't normally have in there. And that can cause them to go to ruin. So I suppose it's like figure out what kind of player you are, what kind of personality you are when you play your best and try your best to build routines that can help you stick to that. But yeah, any type of consistent mentality is important here and consistent routines as well so i kind of just mentioned it as well but keeping the consistency of your timing that's been kind of shown there's definitely correlation studies that show that what was it matt bridges dr matt bridges he's an ex-lecturer of mine he did a study on tour players in europe european tour players yeah i think we've discussed that study that's a great one with the timing and everything yeah, so you find like there was strokes gained and there was, I mean, he put a monetary value on it. I can't remember what it was. I think it was in the millions that if you keep your routine and the timing from walking into the shot to hitting the ball, if you keep that more consistent, that was associated with millions of dollars earned and lower strokes or better strokes gained. And the other takeaway from that study was less time was better. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, yeah. those tour players that were spending like 150 seconds before every shot, they found that the players who were just didn't spend as much time before each shot, but were consistent with it did have better scoring and money. Ability. And that's something I was so happy that was the takeaway because I think the trend that I noticed is quite the opposite, especially with younger players in tournaments. They love to just, you know, stand over the ball for three minutes now going through everything. And I'm like, what better stuff is going to happen the longer you stand over the ball? Nothing. Like the chances of doubt creeping in are much higher versus you're not going to get more confident standing over the ball. 
I watched someone choke recently. They, they were a higher handicapper, probably about 15, and they started out having a really good round of golf. And they were just walking in, hitting it. And then as they realized, I've got a good round going, and the partners were telling them that, you could see they started to spend longer over the golf ball. Absolutely. They weren't gathering information. I'm all for gathering information in the pre-shot routine. You know, you can do that while other people are playing their shots. You don't have to slow everybody down, but I'm all for that. But when you go in to execute the shot, it's pointless standing over the ball, losing that flow. And that's what started to happen. He stood over there. It started with maybe three to five seconds more over the ball. And you could see he's just static. You could see he's thinking either don't screw this up or he's starting to think of mechanical thoughts and he started to screw it up, which then created a downward spiral. He'd spend even longer over the ball for the next one. And by the end of it, he was just, ah, oh, it was horrendous. And then it flipped again because he had lost his best score. He was now, oh, I'm just going to walk in and hit it again. And he started playing well again. <laughs> so he had a horrible stretch in the middle of it. And I asked him what he thought happened. And he didn't pick up that he changed his routine. I did mention it to him, but yeah. He gave some other excuses. I can't remember exactly what, but that's certainly what I saw. And Tiger Woods, I mean, there's, uh, there's an interview on YouTube. If you type in Tiger Woods routine, I'm sure you'll find it. Because he's done a number of kind of tidbits on this. And he talks about... One of his strengths or one of the things he always tried to do was keep his routine consistent every single time. And he even mentioned that when he was playing against other players, he would know they're under pressure when they had a small change in their routine. It could be anything, like an extra waggle or something like that. And the moment he saw it, he knew he had that person because he knew he was in their head. He knew they were nervous. It's like a talent poker. Yeah, exactly. So try and keep your routines consistent. Try not to add things. At the very least, don't consciously add things to your routine that you wouldn't normally have there. Yeah, I think another question that I've gotten just from people sending me messages over the year asking me questions about, you know, scoring in golf and a very common question I've received is, well, you know, when I'm playing a match with my buddies or this situation, do I alter this? Do I change that? And I think this round that I had and many others is a perfect example of why not changing things is so important because I think people can react to different scenarios on the golf course for different reasons. So for example, me, my personality, and probably you, Adam, we're probably more on the risk averse side of things in terms of humanity. Me in the past, I'm playing too well. I'm going too deep. All right, let's get that turtle back in its shell. Let's get scared. Let's <laughs> pick safer targets. Let's hit you know iron off the tee. Let's make those safe quote unquote, safe golf swings, which I don't even know what the hell that is, but that's what I did. And then conversely, you could have a different reaction. So if someone else, when they're playing really well, is like, okay, I'm on a heater. You know, let's turn up the temperature or whatever you want to call it. And then all of a sudden they're starting to hunt at flags and they're, you know, maybe choosing driver where it's not appropriate on certain holes. So there's, I think there's different ends of the spectrum you can go on in reaction to these events on the course. And again, not to belabor this consistency thing, but it really is that important. And one of the things I was happy about in this round was like, didn't change a damn thing, honestly, because I was just like, you've done that before and it hasn't helped you. So you're going to, I know my targets, you know, fortunately it's my home course. So I'm very comfortable there. I know exactly what I'm doing on every hole and there are opportunities to play it safer. And I chose not to do that. And again, did that guarantee me that outcome no way but i think it gave me a better chance 
Yeah, I'm just writing some notes. So there's some studies on this. I'm going to probably butcher it here, but need to achieve versus need to avoid failure. So you can almost lump people into these different personality types. And they found you could actually make someone choke or there were certain things associated with making people choke depending on what personality they were. So if you get someone who's a need to achieve type of person. So they're all about, oh, I'm, I'm going to try and, you know, turn the heat on, as you said in this. I'm going for a good one. I want to take this deeper. You can make them choke, I believe, by saying that don't screw up here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how many times do you say that to yourself? <laughs> Whereas if you tell them you can do well here, that encourages them more. Whereas for me, it's the opposite. I'm more a need to avoid failure type of person. And so for me, if you tell me don't screw up, that actually encourages me. Whereas if you tell me you're going for a real good round here, that is more likely to make me choke. So I believe that's the correct one. I actually wrote an article on it, but it was many years ago and it was based on some research that wasn't mine. So I'll try and find that. But yeah, it's uh, interesting knowing that and knowing which type of personality you are because the type of things that you tell yourself during that time can really influence the outcome. And also, if you know that your playing partner is a certain type, you can tell them certain things to make them <laughs> screw up if you want to take the money yeah, off them. Yeah, so remember that when you're playing your 2020-40 NASA this weekend. <laughs> exactly. I think the two most important things that, and again, these are just my thoughts. People are different, so it might be different thoughts for you. So hopefully this is helpful. But I do believe this is a somewhat universal concept in golf. For a long time, yeah, I was the obsessive numbers person, outcome-oriented, like worrying about failure when things are going too well type of player. And the two things that on the back nine where I wasn't, to be quite honest with you, I really wasn't nervous. If anything, I was having more fun with it, which was a very big relief and a comforting thing to think of because I guess it just shows how my game has evolved over the years and that could change in the future. Who knows? But there were really two things that I kept telling myself as I got closer and closer to the 18th hole. I just kept telling myself, holy crap, this is fun. I'm just like, I'm having a blast doing this, not just because I'm playing well, because, you know, it was a beautiful day out, like one of the first great days of spring we had. The playing partners I was with were good friends from my course, so we were still having fun out there. So I just kept reminding myself that this is fun. Like, this is not that big of a deal. And then the second thing I said to myself is that, who cares? Like, honestly, like, if I came into the clubhouse and made five bogeys in a row, what does it matter? Like, will I be a little upset? Yeah, probably, but I'll forget about it in a day. You know, it's not like my playing partners won't care. You know, they'll forget about it within two minutes of the round being over. So people are not going to remember this 100 years from now? No. I mean, the best part was <laughs> after this happened, I explained it to my kids who just don't care about golf. And they do it as kind of a way to like riff on dad. I just tried to explain it to my almost nine-year-old and six-year-old. I'm like, daddy did something really special on the course today, blah, blah, blah. And my daughter's like, nobody cares, daddy. Like it was just like, it just reinforced that like, yeah, no one really cares either way. Like my playing partners were like super impressed. You know, they told some people at the club and people like, you know, were like happy for me. And then I put it on Twitter and the golf community there is very encouraging and positive. So people were congratulating me. That was all good and all, but all those people went on with their days. They didn't care. My kids didn't care. My wife understood how great it was, but at the same time, like she couldn't internally 
like she hasn't been playing golf for 30 years. Like, you know, she was very supportive, but it matters, but it doesn't. We've said this in other episodes. So I think those were two things that kind of gave me comfort in the round was that like, this is just a fun, I'm not playing for a living. Technically, this is for fun. If I do it, great. If I don't do it, that's really okay too. I'll be at peace with that. I'll get over it. So I think that kind of freed me up and that's taken, you know, hundreds of rounds and a lot of failures and me beating the crap out of myself mentally to get to that place. And hopefully I can maintain that perspective for years to come. But those were really the two things that I told myself repeatedly on the back nine when I did have those thoughts. And to be quite honest with everyone, yeah, I had thoughts of, I was like, damn, you can shoot a 61 right now. I didn't know what the course, uh, to be honest, I really wasn't thinking about the course record. I was really thinking about like, you could blow the lid off of this thing. But then I just kind of kept bringing myself back to reality when I needed to. Um, and that was really just reminding myself, this is fun. And no matter what happens, I will be okay. I think that's something that people think is true, that your best rounds are going to be fun. And in my experience, especially in tournament play, some of the best rounds I've had have been the least fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, a tournament definitely takes on a different context. It can, Yeah, for sure. they can be exhausting oh, because yeah. you're trying to hold on to a certain score. And then, you know, every little thing that goes wrong is absolutely magnified. And everything that goes the right way is just a relief more than anything. But yeah, the best rounds that you have may not be the most fun unless you choose to kind of notify yourself of it i bet if you played competitively now you would feel very differently that's my guess mm -hmm. yeah because actually my next round after that was three days after and i was thinking to myself well I had the qualifier for the long island open which is our big you know pro slash amateur tournament around here and i was thinking like what's your follow-up act here it was blowing 20 30 miles an hour I had the second lowest round of the day. I teed off, I had the worst draw. I shot even par at Beth Page Red. And honestly, it was a very similar experience. Like, did I have to grind more because of the wind? Yeah, but like, I just had a really fun time. It was fun. Like, I just didn't, maybe just because I was such a psychopath for so many years in my teenage years and early mid-20s, I'm really trying to be done with like beating myself up about golf. I've done it for so long that I'm just trying to like enjoy whatever experience I have, whether that's recreationally or in a tournament. Maybe I don't want to be a nihilist saying it doesn't matter because it does. But yeah, I think that Again, that's my perspective on things when pressure is mounting is just reminding myself we are having fun here. This is supposed to be fun because it wasn't fun for me for a really long time. And people might have different experiences than me, for sure. So, yeah, the first time you shoot a really low score, obviously, that's very difficult. But once you've done it, you've kind of proven to yourself and you've maybe proven to others as well. That can be a big thing. We're very egotistical as humans. So yeah, I mean, that's definitely once you've had that, once you've got it in the bank, essentially, it's like, I don't have to prove myself to anybody anymore. And so the next time you find yourself in that situation, it's a lot easier to do it. So I often find that players who are struggling with breaking into a certain barrier, it could be breaking par for someone like us. It could be breaking eight into 80 or breaking into 90 even. The first time you do it can be so difficult. Yeah. And it feels just the same. I know it feels the same someone shooting that 88 that it was for me shooting in the 60s. Like it feels exactly the same. So I don't want to make like these scores are more important. I know it feels exactly the same to everyone. Yeah. And lots of players have 
the skill to do it. I mean, I've seen players who have the skill to break 80 and they're still struggling to break 90. And it's not their skill level, it's the mental part of it. And so, you know, you can do certain things to help get through that, like visualizing certain rounds. So visualizing each, I think most people have birdied or parred every single hole on their golf course if they've played it enough. And so just trying to remind yourself and going through that mentally to kind of train your brain to understand, no, I can par this, I have done in the past. That can help to bridge that gap. Also looking at your nine hole scores as well, your best nine hole score can help show you your potential. A great game if you've got the chance to go out on the golf course and play two balls and pick the best one each time you'll shoot a very low score doing that. And it's you doing it as well. So at the end of that, you can come off and say, well, I was the one who hit the shots there. I've just got to find out how to access those shots more often. And that's not a case of increasing your skill level. That's just a case of the mental things that go along with that. So that's a good game to play if you can. Or, you know, sometimes I'll go off and I'll play with people. And typically I'll play 7,000 to 7,500 yards but sometimes I'll go out and I'll play 6-3 and just those are the rounds where I'll shoot like 4-5 under without thinking about it. And it's just fun to do that. It's fun to kind of break the thermostat, so to speak. Yeah, and one other, maybe this is a word of caution because I've noticed this pattern in my game for as long as I can remember. So sometimes we do have these aberration rounds. Sometimes they're on the bad side. So like, let's say out of nowhere, you just shoot a score where you're like, whoa, that was not who I am. Or sometimes, like I remember when I was 16, I shot under par for the first time ever. And I was like, oh, this is who you are now. And I literally didn't shoot under par for 18 holes for over a decade, more. So sometimes, you know, you do have these aberration rounds. I think they're a glimpse maybe into your potential on the low side or on the downside. (laughs) You don't want to think about that too much, but maybe there's something to learn there as well. But I've noticed these like maybe two to three year delays for me where like I'll break through and then I'll be like, because I mentioned earlier, you asked me what were my low rounds. I did choose 65 and a 66 in the same week over two years ago. It hadn't come close. I've shot in a lot of one or two under par since then, but never going that low. Or I had a year, I think it was 2019 or 20, where I really played well in tournaments. And then the next two years just didn't match that performance. And then in 2021, really broke through again. So I've had these patterns in my game. And again, this is something that can show up in other people relative to where they're at in golf, where you might have these breakthroughs and that's a progression in your game. But at the same time, like you're still going to be like climbing that ladder. Like you might go down a few pegs afterwards. I guess the point I'm trying to make is be careful with expecting too much of yourself after these things. Because sometimes, you know, golf is a crazy game. Like things can come out of nowhere and then it might take another year or two for you to get back to that level on a consistent basis. And I think one of the hardest things in this game is obviously managing expectations. So I try to think about that a lot when I have these events where I'm like, is this the new me or is this just kind of a, you know, a one-off breakthrough? But, you know, I just kind of take it as it comes and don't expect too much. That's why you asked like on the first tee, like what I think about score. I don't. I'm committed to just going through my process on every shot and, and living with the results every time as best I can. I don't have target scores. That does not work for me. Maybe it could work for some other players, but I think it's usually does more harm than good. Yeah, I get players email me all the time saying they've just shot their best round after, you know, either listening to our podcast or, you know, doing one of the 
plans that I have or something like that. And while I'm very happy for those people, I always email back with, that's great news, well <laughs> <Yeah> . done. <laughs> Keep working on getting that average down. Yep. Because your best round, add seven or eight shots to it. And that's what you're expecting. I don't want to even give people expectations, but you're like, okay, take your best round and add 15 shots to it. And that's your kind of range that you're looking at is acceptable. Look, I shot an 81 the round prior to that 64. Yeah, yeah. Big swing. Same golfer three days later or whatever it was, four days. Yeah, I can go out and I can shoot seven under and I can shoot seven over and play very similar golf, <laughs> you know, hitting it. The difference will be in the small things. So, yeah, I mean, you've got to manage these expectations on both sides. Don't be too high with your expectations. And that's sometimes something that can happen if you've been on a good run, a couple of good rounds, maybe even a week of good playing. You can start to get more aggressive with your strategy because you think, oh, I'm hitting it so well. I'm going to try and bust an eight iron there instead of hitting my stock seven and i'm going to try and fire at these pins and maybe these things are happening unconsciously as well and then all of a sudden you start playing average or you start hitting it in an average way with these aggressive strategies and those two things don't mix you start making bogey after bogey then you start getting aggressive then all of a sudden you're on a downward spiral and so this is why we see golf form in kind of waves just like the stock market but you can smooth those waves if you're aware of this whole process yeah i'm trying to fight with that mentally right now i think i texted you yesterday that i'm on ever since that 64 i've been on a heater the last three weeks well now you want a 63 john yeah and i shot a bogey free 67 the other day the second time ever I've gone bogey free, I had that great tournament round where I shot even par and tough wind. I played some really awesome golf courses earlier this week and played well. So yeah, but this is part of the game. You have these times where things are going well and you try and embrace that, but I'm not going to be striking it like this forever. Like I just feel like I haven't missed the sweet spot of my iron in three weeks now. I'm just puring everything. That's not going to continue. I know that. But at the same time, I'm not going to sell myself short. So I'm just going to just like I did when I had that horrible set of range sessions before I played well, like I was almost panicking over a bizarre pattern, kind of fixed it and moved on. And then something else will probably show up in a month that I'll maybe struggle a bit with. But you know, go back in our catalog of episodes that we have here in the sweet spot. And we're trying to give you ideas to deal with that in your own game. And then try and make the, what you just said, one of the keys of golf is to make the extremes of your best and worst closer together. You know, to be a better player, you don't want to be shooting between, you know, 175. You want to narrow that gap as much as possible. It's always going to be wide, but I think it's making your poor rounds not so bad and your best rounds maybe a little bit better. And then somewhere in between that, getting that average score lower. Yeah, just keep pushing that middle ground down and understand there's going to be a reasonably wide range around it. Well, I think I'm done bragging about myself. <laughs> I think, yeah, there's some good points there. I think people get a lot from this. Yeah, I think, you know, I was always on the outside looking in for a very long time. I try not to sound like a jerk here about what it took to become better. And now I'm maybe on the other side of that. And I'm around a lot of players who are just, you know, better than me. And I'm learning from them. And yeah, a lot of it is not what you expect. The great rounds are not highlight reels. They're quite boring. They're consistent. They're smart. And most importantly, they're avoiding big mistakes. And then, you know, my other main takeaway, I hope that people get from this is that when you are confronted with something on the golf course that's out of the ordinary for you, 
maybe you're playing too well, <laughs> which is a good thing. That's fun. Or if things are a total disaster, you know, you have to pay attention to what's going on and resist the urge to change things. You know, if you do have good habits and routines on the course and are picking smart targets, you're trying your best to stick with those rather than throw the plan out the window when the results don't match up from one extreme to the next. So that this round for me and many other rounds is always an important reminder of that. Yeah. Anything else? That's it? I think, yeah, I'm good. (laughs) John, where can people find your information? You can find me at practical-golf.com. Hopefully my book, The Four Foundations of Golf, is out where all my lessons of a lifetime are in there. And Adam, where can everyone find you? AdamYoungGolf.com. And I have different plans for different issues. If you're striking it poorly, hitting it not online, then I have products for those. So check out the strike plan, accuracy plan. And thanks to everybody for listening. We'll see you next time with the new episode.